Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. I just wanted to start off our podcast by saying I really appreciate all of the support that we've been getting for the past year. You heard me right. We have been on officially for a year. And I think we have like 20, after this episode, it'd be 23 episodes we've released. And we've had two seasons. So that is an accomplishment. I do not want to just blow past that. I want to recognize you listeners who have obviously made this possible. And our OG TikTokers that have been with us um, for a while as well. I want to say it's a year because I started everything the same year. So I'm sure we've been a year on TikTok for a while now. But I just want to thank you for your messages and your kind reviews that y'all leave. And just the feedback overall, the messages you guys send, it means the world to me. Um, and I don't want to just act like that is nothing because it's it's something, you know, you have a choice here on, um, you know, different podcasts to who you want to listen to. And I'm just so appreciative that you guys want to hear more crime cases from us. Um, The other thing I wanted to announce since we're in the season of gratitude and Thanksgiving is coming up, I wanted to announce that we will be dropping two extra episodes next week. So in addition to our regular episode on Thursdays, you guys will get two more episodes. And the reason why I'm doing that is because, you know, I had y'all in mind, not only to show my gratitude, but, you know, I know how I am. And when I'm prepping food for Thanksgiving, staying up, you know, trying to get everything cooked, I like to listen to podcasts because that just helps me, you know, go through the time and makes everything, you know, just better. You know what I mean? Just better. So I felt like y'all could use some different episodes to listen to from us. I haven't decided what days I will release those two extra episodes But if you follow us, if you are subscribed to us, you will get the notification that we dropped the episodes, okay? So I think we can safely get into our crime case for today. crime case of the day is about Evelina LeBlanc. And can I just say that Evelina is such a pretty name? Like it's not a common name. Evelyn is, but Evelina, not so much. So her name is just so pretty to me. I really wish that I would have known about this name when I was naming my children. I think it's just beautiful. But I've entitled this case, No Justice. In 1994, Evelina lived in San Leano, California with her mother. And on November 5th of 1994, police were called out to Jefferson Elementary. As the police were, you know, walking around the building trying to see what was going on, they noticed an umbrella that was upside down. And they just start to see trails of clothing you know, shoes, jackets. And the police officer said that he could hear slight 
tapping and he kind of just followed the noise. And when he arrived at that noise, he saw a woman lying on her side and she was tapping her head on the side of the building. He, he also saw a gunshot wound to her head. Investigators quickly take action. They try to recover all the evidence from the scene that they can. However, it is raining outside. And so a lot of the evidence washed away, but they were able to recover a shell casing and they could tell that her body was dragged to the side of the building because where they found the shell casing was not where her body was. They immediately take this woman to the hospital. And that's when they find out who this person was. It was 15-year-old Evelina LeBlanc. She was truly the apple of her mother's eye. Evelina's mother described her as loving, intelligent, and just a beautiful girl, a beautiful spirit. She was on life support and she fought hard for her life. Like she definitely tried to stay alive. But the doctor came to Evelina's mother and told her that after a long fight, Evelina probably would never be able to get off of life support. She wouldn't be able to sustain life without it. And Evelina's mother made the difficult decision to remove her from life support. So this change from an assault case quickly to a homicide. I want to go ahead and note that Evelina was raped and that's also important to this case as well. They were able to connect the DNA evidence from her body and they ran it through CODIS, which if you don't know, CODIS is a um, system that police use all throughout the United States and they are able to collect DNA from felons. And if you have a DNA you're unfamiliar with or you have you don't know who it belongs to, you're able to run this DNA through the system. And if it's from somebody who has been arrested before, you will quickly get a hit and a match. But no one came up. The police hit a dead end, of course, with the DNA evidence, but they put store it away, hoping that they will be able to use it later. Now they just want to figure out what did Evelina do on the day of her murder. So they were trying to get leads, witnesses, trying to figure out what happened. They find out that Evelina attended a local high school football game. She left that game early and got on the bus. And by bus, I mean public transportation. It had nothing to do with her school. The driver told police that he recalled seeing Evelina on his bus and that she was seen talking to a young man. He said he dropped both of them off around 630 and where he dropped them off, it was about five blocks away from the school. With that information, police go ahead and create a composite sketch of who they believe Evelina was last seen with. 13 years later, it's March 2006, and in Portland, Oregon, 35-year-old Alina Thompson is leaving a bar 
where she was there with friends and they were playing pool. She just wanted to go ahead and go home. So she opted to walk. As she's walking, a man approaches her and he tells her his name, but she barely understands it. It's something like Nadi, Naji. She can't really tell because he has a very thick accent from the islands. She told him, you know, I'm not interested. I'm just walking home. He gets irritated with her and she sees that he's not letting up. So she runs away from the guy. She thinks she loses him, but that's until he pops back up on a blue bike. She asks him again, hey, please don't follow me. And he continues to follow her. <laughs> she tells him this fabricated story that she got into a fight at the bar. And so police are looking for her and they probably are just around the corner hoping that he will like leave her alone. But he simply replies, no, no, B word. I'm following you because God told me to do this. He jumps off of his bike and they begin to tussle, which leads to a fight. He pulls out a knife and stabs her in her arm and leg. He's about to stab her again, but a skateboarder comes out of his home and that's when this guy runs off. The skateboarder immediately calls 911 and the medical team, once Alina arrives at the hospital, tells her, you literally had five minutes to live. If you did not get here within those five minutes, you would have been dead because that is how much blood she lost. They were able to recover a shoe from the attack. And they sent that shoe off to the forensics lab in Oregon. Now, naturally, you would think, okay, a shoe, DNA, but there is a little bit of DNA in your shoes. So the forensics people did their thing and they were able to recover, recover a partial profile. This is really good because now... Investigators just need to put a name and a face to the crime, which is not an easy feat, but it's possible. Detective Molly Dahl is the investigator for Alina Thompson's attack, and she immediately jumps in full throttle trying to pursue who attacked Alina. As she was investigating like the circumstances of Alina's attack, she found it familiar and she was able to go back to a case in California and found Evelina's case. And just it felt like this was similar, it had enough connections. So what she did next was interview Alina. She was able to talk with her and she was absolutely surprised at how much Alina was able to recount about the attack because we all know that trauma does different things to our memories. I know for me personally, I um, lost my aunt when I was 17 years old via a hit and run accident. It was very traumatic. It was one of the first deaths for me that just was so impactful. And my sister, like five years later, told me that she sang at my aunt's funeral and I had no memory of it. None. None whatsoever. And, and that's the usual when it comes to trauma. Like you block certain things out 
And that's your mind's way of protecting you to be able to get through. And the fact that Alina went through this vicious attack and was able to tell Detective Dahl about his appearance and everything, it was it was amazing because Detective Dahl was able to pull the composite sketch from Evelina's case, show that to Alina. And Alina said, that's him. That's the guy who attacked me. She also told Detective Dahl the guy's name. She said, listen, this is what I remember. I really couldn't tell in the moment what he said his name was, but it was Najee, Najee, something like that. Alina starts to work on her case herself, so to speak, because she asked her friends, did they know of anybody in Oregon named Nadi? One of her friends says, you know, yeah, I actually was being transported to prison and there was a guy there with the alias of Najee. And so Detective Dahl goes ahead and does her due diligence. She starts to look up all the backlogs and everything. And she identifies this man as Najee. So she brings him in, questions him, and takes his DNA from him. They ran the DNA, but in the meantime, in between time, she took some mug shots over to Alina to identify the person. And Alina looked at the shots and she said, you know what? I don't know anybody here. This, he's not in here. This is not him. And initially, D Detective Dahl said, oh, you know, sometimes witnesses get it wrong. She clearly just has this wrong. And when I get those DNA testing back, I'll know that this is our guy. But they got the DNA testing back and it was not him. His DNA did not match. Detective Dahl was back at square one. And although her spirits were somewhat crushed, she knew she had to get right back on the horse and ride it again until she found out who the perpetrator was. She was really convicted because she knew that more than likely the person who raped and killed Evelina was also responsible for Alina's attack. So she wanted to catch this guy because she was certain that he would commit another offense. And she didn't want that to happen. She wanted to combat that. So she started to go into the system's um, program, which they have. I wasn't familiar with this, so I'll tell you guys what it is. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but police have access to a system that allows them to put in a name. And from that name, the computer will come out with different combinations of the name. Right. And so you can start to look at different criminals and it'll give you a good idea of maybe who it could be. And so since she had this limited information she knew how he looked, but she didn't know his name. She started to aggressively look in this system that they had access to at work. Sadly, there was a third attack. That same year in 2006, in Portland, Oregon, police received a 911 call saying there was a woman lying on the side of the road bleeding. Her name is Charvetti Brown. 
When they get there, they see that this woman is bleeding from her head. She has severe head trauma and they rush her to the hospital, hoping to save her life. But her head trauma was so bad, they just weren't able to save her. And she died at the hospital. The police are there once again, trying to gather all the evidence they possibly can. But once again, it's raining. And so a lot of the evidence washes away. They did receive a phone call earlier that evening, about eight blocks away from where they found Charvetti. And the person on the 911 call said that they heard screaming and someone seemed to be fighting. They were able to identify the car. They said it was a white white Chevy truck, a 610, with a white canopy top. So when police arrive on scene, and it must have taken them like a little while to get there, Because once they arrive, they don't see that car and they don't see any argument. And so they leave. But when they get to Charvetti's crime scene, they take this information and decide that maybe this white truck has something to do with Charvetti's murder. They assume that this truck was probably stolen. And so they sent out a notification to all surrounding areas to be on the lookout for a stolen white truck with a canopy top. Of course, this car is recovered and it's returned to the owner. Immediately, police go to the owner's home and investigate the car. They start to look through it and they find blood in the inside of the car and on the outside. They also find out that the owner says they had a claw hammer in the glove compartment and that also was missing. And the claw hammer went along with the fact that Charvetti Charvetti had a head wound that was so great that it ended up causing her death. So they knew, okay, we're on the right track. There's a connection here. When they interviewed Charvetti's friend, They found out that she was actually with Charvetti that night and they were offered a ride by this man in this white truck. They got in and her friend said, you know, I had a bad feeling about this guy. He just seemed to be a little weird. I told Charvetti, I'm getting out. I'm I'm going. He can go ahead and drop me off. I don't feel comfortable. You should come with me. Charvetti says, no, I'll just stay here. I'll catch up with you later. And she was able to tell investigators that guy's name. She said his name was Imani. Now, because this crime happened in Portland, Oregon, it went to the same police department, but it went to a different detective. And one day, Detective Dahl is sitting at her desk trying to figure out the name of the assailant in Alina Thompson's case. When she overhears just a desk away from another detective, the name Imani. And she just, it was like a light bulb moment. It clicked. She said, oh my goodness, like, what case are you working on? And the detective told her and he reviewed the case with her. And she said, oh my goodness, I think this is our guy. I think we, this is the same guy in Alina Thompson's case. And this is the same guy in Evelina's case. This is him. So she got back on that database, which helps you to figure out, you know, names. She typed in Imani and guess 
what? This guy pops up. He pops up in the system. So she looks Imani Williams up just overall, just to see his criminal history. And she finds out that in 1994, he was in the Oakland Bay area, area, okay? He was actually there. And so she's like, oh my goodness, that's very close to San Leano. And he was there. He most definitely could have killed Evelina as well as be responsible for the two attacks on the woman in Oakland. I mean, in Oregon, I'm sorry. When he arrived in Portland, he was a felon for another charge. So when he got to Portland, he was supposed to get his DNA collected and have that DNA put in the CODIS system, right? What they found out is that he did go and submit his DNA evidence. So Detective Dahl goes and talks to uh, forensics and they said, yeah, we have it, but we haven't processed it. And it takes about one to two years to be added to the system. Y'all, can we just stop for a second and just talk about the frustration here? Okay. Really? One to two years? There has got to be some type of something to expedite that. That's ridiculous. Because you know how many crimes could have been, like, Alina Thompson would have never been attacked. And even if she was, they would have been able to catch him. And then that could have totally, like, got Charvetti. She would not have been killed. Charvetti would not have been killed. Y'all. And it takes one to two years to put that in the system, y'all. And had that been in the system when he arrived in Portland, he would have been tracked back to Evelina's murder. Y'all, y'all not hearing me. That is crazy. Crazy to me. He was one out of 30,000 people waiting to be put in the system. I got to this part, y'all, in my research, and I was like, what? My mouth hung open for at least two minutes. I was like, excuse me? What? One in 30,000? There's probably a lot of crimes that could have been you know, salvage that didn't even have to happen. If you got one in 30,000 people waiting to be put in the system, child, let's move on. Detective Dahl then goes to the lab and says, I need a rush on Imani Williams DNA because we're trying to figure out if he's connected to these different crimes. As you can guess, Imani matched for Alina Thompson's attack. He matched for Charvetti's attack, and he matched for Evelina LeBlanc's rape and murder in 1994. So once they've matched Imani Williams with all of those attacks, they arrest him in downtown Oregon. Detective Dahl calls the detectives in California and informs them that they actually found the perpetrator that committed 
the murder and rape of Evelina LeBlanc. The detective that was assigned to this case was so emotional. He was just so happy that they were able to find out who this person is, give Evelina's mother some closure. He was just, he cried in his interview. And you could tell that this case really affected him. The detectives from California go out to Oregon and they tell Imani, hey, we know that that this was you. We know that you did all these different crimes. We got you. And they said that he acted or reacted very surprised. He felt like he could get away with it because for so long, he actually got away with it. Imani Williams' disposition was just very cold. He just seemed like nothing was wrong and all the crimes that he committed, well, it wasn't a big deal. He acted very nonchalant in his interviews. Detective Dahl was just so excited that she was able to give Alina the justice that she deserved to have this perpetrator off the streets. And also Charvetti Brown's family, she was able to give them the justice that they deserved as well. And when I say justice deserved, I understand fully that justice really is not given, right? Not in the full sense, because these people have lost their loved ones. They will never have them back. But there is a certain type of justice that you get when you know that the person who committed this heinous crime is put away, you know? And I think whenever you don't have that on a case, it just, it takes a toll on you because that person's never caught and he completely, or he or she completely ruined your life. So there was a form of justice that was given to Evelina's mother, given to Alina Thompson and Charvetti Brown's family. They did charge him with first degree murder. And guess what? I hate to say this, but they gave him 30 years in prison with the possibility of parole. I hate to say that, but I also hate just as much that he was not charged with Evelina's murder and rape. You may be asking yourself, why, Steph? Why was he not charged? He was not charged with it because when he was 14 years old, when Evelina was murdered. So due to the juvenile statutes there in California, they wouldn't be able to prosecute him for that. Y'all. What? It's just, that is just devastating. Like, I think that's even a bigger sting to Evelina's mother. So that is our case for the day. Let's get right into our takeaway because y'all, I have a lot to say. I've said like some of it throughout the episode, but you guys know I like to just kind of stay on topic and go through the case. This case is just, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. And I, I know you understand why I called this no justice. 
it is absolutely frustrating that police or whoever, however the forensic processing goes, that they could not or they did not process this man's DNA evidence. Because had they done it, they would have been able to get him right at that time and arrest him for Evelina's murder. Okay? Alina would have never been attacked. Charvetti would have never been killed. Like, help me to understand. And if anybody out there listening to this podcast has any background information on how the processing of forensics go, I mean, please help me to understand because I am open to understanding, okay? I just, I, I like, I'm aware that DNA processing is things that take time, but my God, this man was the definition of pure evil because who commits murder at 14 and rapes a person? What? Like, absolutely bonkers to me. And I just, I feel so bad for Evelina's mother that after all of that, after finding out who committed the murder, he doesn't even get charged for it? What? And I understand that we have juvenile statutes in different different um, cities and states and all of that. But I think if I were the judge giving him a sentence, I would have to just, you know, include Evelina's demise into his sentencing. I mean, this man is absolutely evil. And so that that's the first thing about how I feel and the takeaway that I have. I'm completely frustrated with the system. And I know the system's not perfect. People do the best they can. We are just human. All the adages that we say about that. But I just feel like at the end of the day, Evelina was failed. She was failed. You know, like Evelina's parents were failed. They lost. You know, so that's frustrating. The second thing is, in a lot of the cases I present here, you guys know I love to tell y'all about the victim. I want to humanize them. I want to tell you that they had a life, that they were a person, that they had value. And in this case, I didn't get a whole bunch of background information about Evelina. Evelina's mother was able to say, you know, certain character traits about her, but I didn't get just a ton of information about her, you know, but I still felt like she was humanized in this episode because she was 15. Just roll back in your mind when you were 15 years old, how much inexperience you had, how much life you had not even lived yet. And imagine that being taken away at the tender age of 15. She did not even live her life. And I think the even more crazy thing about it, I need to find another adjective, y'all, because I ain't said crazy 30 times. But the wildest thing about it, about it is that Evelina just did not do anything wrong, in my opinion. That's my opinion. I don't think she did anything wrong. 
she ran into a guy that probably more than likely went to school with her and she wasn't intimidated by him. She did not think anything would happen. You know, like, and as a parent and, you know, and being a child at one point, your parents give you these lists of do's and don'ts. And that's not even on that list. Hey, watch out for people you go to school with. They may kill and rape you. Like, what? And that, for me, being a parent, you know, who is trying to raise my kids, right? Trying to give them all the information that they'll ever need as they walk through this life. As much information as I can give them so they won't have to bump their head and experience it for themselves. What do you say in that situation? There was nothing that could have been done to prevent it, to prevent that because he was hell bound determined that he was going to murder her. You know, he was going to murder her. So I just, I just, that saddens me and makes my heart just hurt all the more for Evelina's mother. Lastly, I really appreciated Detective Dahl. I did watch an interview with her as she discussed the case. She was so humble. She was so humble. You know, she was just like, I was just doing my job. You know, like, I'm just mad at myself that I couldn't catch him sooner before he attacked Charvetti Brown. And I think people who do their jobs well are indispensable. You know what I mean? And so I feel like she does deserve a hand clap because if I ever was in a position where I had to have um, a family member who was taken away from me savagely like that, I would want, or a person that I loved who had been attacked, I would want a detective doll. You know what I mean? Somebody who is actively working to try to figure out who did this to your family member. And she did that. She was excellent. And I think this story and her her detective skills helped to combat some of the bad publicity that police and detectives and investigators get. Um, because although there are definitely bad ones out there, this shows us that there are good ones out there too who want to do their job and who are going to do it until they hit the end of the case, until they are able to say, this is closed, this perpetrator is behind bars. So I really appreciated her and was really happy to see that because there were so many downs in this case, you know, from it being raining at some of the crime scenes and evidence washing away to, you know, Evelina's, Evelina just being 15 years old. Then you go to... Uh, the DNA or forensic lab not processing his, Imani Williams' DNA. It was just so many lows. It was I was happy to see something that was good that came out of it. And sometimes it's important to not just focus on the bad. It's important to look at what was positive. What was the positive that came out of the situation? It obviously was he was caught. He was put behind bars. So those are my takeaways 
for this particular case, you guys let me know what you think about this case. I think this case is a little different than anything I've covered on here. So tell me what you think. I want to know. Thank you.